Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. We interview women in the sports and entertainment businesses to teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. Let's bring visibility to women who are crushing it in their roles. Join us week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Ramala Ratnam is Senior Vice President and Head of Impact and Inclusion at Endeavor. She oversees all corporate social responsibility initiatives and DEI efforts across the company globally and leverages Endeavor's vast network to drive social change. Throughout her career, Ramala has advocated for equity and inclusion and implemented solutions to democratize industry access for underrepresented and marginalized groups. Today, Ramala is responsible for launching Endeavor Impact. Endeavor's social impact brand focused on four key pillars, equity, democracy, industry inclusion, and sustainability. We talk about finding your purpose, going after a big role, understanding where you can make an impact, world travel, and the top questions to ask yourself when you are trying to decide where you can and where you want to make an impact. This is a good one. Ramala is smart, cool, dedicated, and talented. She knows how to get it done, and she's sharing some of the secrets to her success with us today. Listen in and level up. Let's go. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast, Ramala Ratnam, and she is the Senior Vice President and Head of Impact and Inclusion at Endeavor. We are pumped to have you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So I want you to do the intro and tell us who you are and what you do. So like you said, my name is Ramla Ratnam. I'm based in LA. I lead impact and inclusion for Endeavor, which is an entertainment media company. We own companies such as the talent agency, William Morris, IMG, the UFC, this universe, New York Fashion Week, the list goes on and on. But in general, we do representation and we own and operate events and properties. So let's talk about how you got there before we dig into the incredible work that you're doing right now for Endeavor. You began your career with the NBA, then the Seed Project, before going to UNICEF as the Director of Corporate and Sports Partnerships. How did these roles in the beginning of your career shape the executive that you are today? And second, how did you use one opportunity to get to the next? Yeah, so it's been a really fun career and all of my jobs have kind of fed off the job before it, which has been really nice. So started my career at the NBA doing business development. So helping brands connect to sports fans, to NBA fans. Um, and one of the ter- one of the areas I was responsible for was outside of the U.S. So uh, the official bank of the NBA in Africa or the official milk of the NBA in Asia or the official bank of the NBA or computer of the NBA in South, in South America. Um, so through that, I got to know the grassroots infrastructure of sport in these in these countries and really fell in love with that aspect of the job. Um, at some point, kind of realized I was sick of just selling things to people that they probably didn't need and really wanted to get closer to the parts of the game that I loved. And that's what spurred me to go to the nonprofit side. Um, through a lot of different like relationships and travel, I ended up learning about the Seed Project through the founder of it, who was working at the NBA, this, this man named Amadou Fall, and he was working with this guy, Noah Levine. And we kind of came together and said, let's like, let's really like level up this organization. Let's take it from where it is and make it 
the nonprofit that we know it could be. Did that for a few years. It was school based in Senegal. That's what the seed project was, but it had a very big basketball focus. Through that, built the board, and I ended up, we ended up bringing on a woman to the board, Carol Stern, who was the head of UNICEF USA at the time. That's how I ended up working there. And then WME, I ended up there because a lot of the ambassadors for UNICEF, people like Selena Gomez and Priyanka Chopra at the time were WME clients. So that's how I how I met there. But in terms of my journey, it was, you know, starting on the commercial side then realizing I wanted to have a greater impact, then working on the nonprofit side, a small nonprofit, but where you had tons of impact, you were directly speaking with the people that you were helping every day. Then the next step was going to a kind of bigger NGO like UNICEF, which is massive and working on change at scale. So not just, you know, 30 boys and girls, but millions of people at a time, but really coming to the realization that if the world is going to become what we want to leave to our children and their children, something that we're proud of, uh, it's going to have to be the way that businesses act uh, changing. It's not enough to just do philanthropy. It's not enough to just do acts of kindness or even systems change through a philanthropic lens. It really has to be businesses acting different. So that's how, why I was really passionate about coming to the private sector and how I ended up at Endeavor in the role I am in today. Yeah, well, your current role at Endeavor is SVP and head of impact and inclusion with the charge to oversee all corporate social responsibility initiatives and DEI efforts across the company globally. That's an enormous task. <laughs> so, where did you start? And what advice do you have for listeners who are taking on a new big role? So my actual first job there was I was just in charge of our clients' philanthropy. So I knew I wanted to be at the company. I'd seen the CEO, Ari Manuel, and the chairman, Patrick Weitzel, speak. Um, and I was just like, I, need, I must work at this company. It's incredible. But I also knew from working with them, they had very little corporate social responsibility infrastructure. Um, so I just felt like it was a big opportunity. And I'd read this... Um, when I was living in Rwanda or spending time in Rwanda at one point, I read Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In and she had this uh, line in it where she said, um, when you get a chance to board the rocket ship, don't ask what seat. So I was just kind of like down for whatever, like whatever they'll hire me for. So my first job was doing the philanthropy for clients. So a celebrity actress wanted to start a nonprofit or a singer wanted to go on tour and have proceeds benefit this thing he cared about. So I was just doing that. And then over time, what I worked to convince you know, my bosses and their bosses and their bosses uh, was that we needed to not just think about what we were doing just as philanthropy, because we had a foundation, we we're giving money and we we're doing this client work. And that was really it. And some volunteer projects here and there. My first job or the first thing that kind of catapulted me into the role that I am now was taking on this or trying to convince other people that the impact that a company has is far beyond just the money they give. It's about how do you act as a company? How do you hire? How do you spend? How do you engage your employees? How do you give your employees a sense of purpose? How do you enable, look at the whole company as a whole and all the ways it has an impact and, and orient that towards doing good in the extent that you can. So that was kind of my first task to your question where it's like obviously a massive thing, but it really comes down to figuring out what is the impact that the company is going to have what are the different channels and just like system by system going through? How are you purchasing from a supplier standpoint? How are you hiring? That's how the DNI part came in. How are you actually hiring and empowering communities, especially people from less represented, historically marginalized backgrounds? How are you giving them opportunity to help them and their families by the work that you're doing? So that's kind of how I got to where I am. 
So the advice is really one step at a time, evaluation of everything that you're going after. And you just got to start period. You just got to start. You got to start. I, and if you're curious of where to start, I always will start with, with the structural part first. So I think some people go straight to doing and they feel this bias for action, which makes sense. But then you kind of are ending it up in this never ending loop where you're so busy, you never go back and fix the the base. Um, so I even say with the nonprofit I was running, one of the biggest lessons I learned, we should have taken a year off, right? We should have just taken a year, not had programming and got the fundraising right, got the right staff, got the right, even bank accounts, like all the accounting systems, like fixed it all without the burden of also running a program and the cost associated with that. So I always would say, like, if you don't know where to start, like start with the foundation and the structure first. Because if you just start moving and you never build that, everything is harder. Yeah. It's such good advice because it's so hard to go back to the structure when you're already off to the races. Yeah. It's impossible, especially in things that are chronically underfunded, lower resource, or if you're an entrepreneur, like you, when you're so strapped, you never have time for that foundational work. So do it before you get yourself busy with the execution. Yeah. Well, under your leadership, WME forged a partnership with Color of Change and Michael B. Jordan, hashtag change Hollywood to drive racial and social justice across Hollywood. How does this partnership work and what is the expected impact? Yeah. So it was a really cool partnership. So it was, so this was right after George Floyd and we're in the middle of the pandemic. So summer 2020 and I think everyone was looking around and saying, what, what can we do? Some people are donating money to racial justice organizations. Some were evaluating their own policies. Some were just putting up posts and blackout Tuesday. Like people were doing a variety of things, some very impactful, some not necessarily impactful. Um, what attracted us to work that, so Michael, um, Michael B. Jordan, the actor, he's a client of, of the agency. And he and a woman on his team, Renee Spellman, were working very closely with Color of Change, which is the largest online racial justice organization. And they created what was a roadmap. And this was saying, you know, taking Michael on the inside as an actor producer and taking Color of Change as this racial justice organization, they came together to analyze what are all the ways that Hollywood can play a role in, in the fight for racial justice. Everything from how are we interacting with police departments to how are we staffing? How are we creating opportunities? What type of content are we actually moving through the system? What type of content actually enhances or sets back perceptions that that have an impact on racial equity and justice? Um, So they put out a roadmap and they brought it to us because we um, had WME. We also had a studio Endeavor content at the time. So as an agency and a studio, they were like, you guys would be the really important first partners for us. So we were the first company that signed on to the roadmap. So they had about 36 points of actions companies should take. We basically responded with to every point with an action we would take towards that. Um, so it was our, it was called our commitments. Uh, we finished our, and we said we'd have one year to do it. So we're now on our second set of commitments. And yeah, that was, that's the partnership. So we ended up through that working very, very closely with Color of Change to bring more companies involved. We've done different projects. So what we say is that we'll figure out what needs to get done and we'll partner to make it happen. So for example, the Inclusion Rider was a project that we worked on, which is a set of diverse hiring principles where we actually um, implemented it as standard practice at Endeavor Content, but also helped create the template so that of and brought it to our clients so other students and production companies could adopt the same thing. So that's that's the program. It's basically a roadmap and commitment to actually doing the actions to move the work forward. 
Now, it's such a smart way to look at it with those 36 points and then the actions that you'll take against those points over a set period of time in one year. So it's measurable and you're holding yourself accountable to that goal setting. And then how incredible that you can get more organizations through your network involved to, to do the same. Yeah, it was it was really great. It was definitely it became the backbone of the way that we started to approach the inclusion work and the DNI work. Um, and the racial social justice work at the company was we had we said a blueprint. All you have to do is follow it, and there's nothing bad. And also, you can say a lot of stuff, but having a third party that's holding you accountable is a game changer. And not that many companies have that. So we're particularly proud of of them kind of keeping us honest as we're trying to do this work. That's so so, so smart. And another area where you guys have been focused, you and your team alongside Sean Combs run Endeavor's virtual industry education programs, including summer series NXT and the excellence program where you've worked with over 24,000 students. These programs offer opportunities for these students to succeed in this industry in sports, entertainment, and fashion. So how do students get involved and what has been the biggest takeaway for students to join this program? Yeah. So the way students get involved is we just do full online media. So it used to be posts and having people like Sean Combs post about it. We partnered with Michael uh, B. Jordan on one. We just did one with Marshawn Lynch for student athletes. So focusing on the places that they're already consuming content, and then we'll either partner with people to get content out. So Overtime, which is an online media brand partnered with us for the um, Level Up program with Marshawn. So we reach them through social media. We've taken out buys ourselves on Instagram. That's where we found, we've done all of them, but Instagram is really where the best place to find students is. For us, the reason we did this is because if you, you know, you're in, you're in Reno, Nevada, right? Let's say like a young you in Nevada wants to be in the entertainment industry and you know, you want to, and maybe you go to college, um, in Nevada how do you actually like intern, right? Like maybe your parents have to pay for you to go to LA and live there and intern. It's just not possible for so many people. And then if you don't really get your foot in the door through that way, you don't, and if you don't spend time, you don't really know what you want to do. Even Maybe you're interested in music or fashion or sports, or, you know, a, be, want to represent writers or directors, but like, how do you get there? So for us, we want to, we, the online, the internet is the great kind of equalizer in this. You can take this class from anywhere on any device. You can take it on your laptop, you can take it on your phone, you can take it on a tablet. Anywhere you have internet access, you can kind of take this course. Um, so what we found that students are getting out of it is maybe they're reaffirming their commitment to this work, uh, or maybe they're deciding, hey, I don't want to be in this industry anymore. Or if they still want to be in it, they have more clarified goals. I want to be a manager. I want to be a lawyer. I want to sell brand partnerships. It's giving, it's helping them have a more specific goal, having a point of access, um, and then they suddenly found the resume so that maybe they didn't get to intern at a studio or an agency or a production company, but they have Endeavor on the resume now, and that'll help them make them that much more competitive. And then if they do kind of decide to move to LA to figure it out, at least they have a point of view and they have a reference point when they get here. So that's really our, our big contribution. We've hired uh, 50 people from the program. My um, my last assistant was from the program who now we promoted and she's a coordinator. Um, so we've seen a lot of success and we're excited about that. 
Yeah. And I think there's a lot of organizations who want to get involved with students so that they can create a pipeline for new trained employees in their business. Like you mentioned, you've hired 50, but you're also helping these kids like roadmap what they, they want to do next. So they're not going in like eyes wide open without a clear pathway. So where do you suggest that some other companies start? You obviously, you know, connected with students over Instagram, but like you had to create this body of content and this programming first. So where should someone start to get even like a light version of what you're accomplishing? Well, if you go to excellenceprogramresumebook.com, we've selected the top 50 students from the program that are still looking for work. So those are, those are young people who have done close to 40 hours of programming learning. They're ready. We've vetted them. We've interviewed them, but you can watch their videos. So I'd recommend anyone go to hire there. Uh, for other companies, it's not that difficult to make the intake process of your company less opaque, right? Like how can you provide access, even just information sessions? So you may get thousands of applications for a job. You're probably only moving, you know, five, the top 5% into the interview stage. What are you doing with the rest of the people that applied, but maybe weren't right at that moment? Could you invite them to a Zoom where you do a panel with five of your biggest departments, just talking about it, saying, hey, this is what we do. Here's what we're looking for. Here's how you can be better for next time, right? Like if that's, I think, the very simplest way, it's just taking this kind of black box system of people shoot their resume into the dark and you never hear from them again. You likely end up hiring someone that knows someone there for good or for bad, right? So how, so it's kind of making it, providing more feedback, providing more access, providing more opportunities so that when people are applying for those jobs, they're also learning and they're getting something back by taking the time to affirmably say they want to work with you. Those are some great, great tips. It's frustrating for job seekers. I'm sure you get lots of messages on LinkedIn. Hey, I, you know, I applied or how do I get my foot in the door? And you're telling them to just start. And then sometimes they, you know, they rebut back with, but I don't know how, but these are some great tips for organizations to give people a space to connect and then see what they do with it. We talk all the time, like, Hey, you got to know somebody to get in. Well, knowing somebody oftentimes start with just reaching out. So that's, that's uh, really where you can begin your career is just being very proactive. And doing programs at scale is easier, right? For me, I'm not, like I'm saying all these things, but I know there's probably at least 50 messages in my LinkedIn that I haven't responded to. But like, at least if you're doing it at scale, we can do it once and have anyone that wants join, make it accessible to everybody. Cause it is hard to do it. You know, we, I should all be better. We want to do better, but like, it's hard to do it as one off and, you know, mentor a hundred people at the same time, but providing these programs really like lightens that load. It makes it easier. At Leadership is Female, we are serious about supporting you in your career. That includes the tips to get you ahead inside your current organization or provide you with the next big opportunity in a new role. That's why we have partnered with Legacy Search, an executive recruiting firm specializing in mid to senior level executive searches across professional, collegiate, and minor league sports. Check out the openings listed at LegacySportsSearch.com or in our monthly Leadership is Female newsletter. 
Hint, if you have not signed up for the newsletter, head to leadershipisfemale.com. If you find a job listed at Legacy Sports Search that looks like it should be yours, email us at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com and we will introduce you directly to the opportunity. This is your career. Make the most of it. If you are listening to this podcast, I know you are a busy professional. We can agree we are always looking for products that are convenient and make life easier. Mobot water bottles are one of these products. It's a water bottle and a foam roller in one. I use the water bottle at the gym, staying hydrated in boot camp and then flipping the bottle on its side at the end of class to quickly foam roll my legs. It helps with recovery and gets me back to work faster. Get yours at mobot.com and use the code leadershipisfemale, all one word, to get 15% off. Support Lonnie Cooper, the female founder of this product, and support yourself. This is a must-have wellness water bottle. You have heard so many of the professionals on this podcast talk about the importance that a mentor has made in their career. I've had so many listeners reach out to me to ask me about mentorship. The problem is mentors don't grow on trees. I'm working with my company, the Assist Group, to, well, provide the assist. We're going to form a mentorship cohort so that we can make sure you find the mentor you need to help your career grow. Make sure you're on the list to get all the details when they drop later this year. Visit the assistgroupwins.com to join the waitlist. Absolutely. So, okay, I mentioned a few names here that we might know. Michael B. Jordan, Sean Combs. You know, your business is is working with celebrities. Talk a little bit about that experience, um, what that's been like for you and maybe what you've learned about yourself, um, as, as a boss, uh, in, in this arena. I mean, I kind of joke that sometimes I feel like I have one of the best jobs at the company when it comes to working with celebrities, because, you know, we don't charge them for what we do. So anybody that we represent can come to our department, our team and say, Hey, I care about this. I want to use this platform that I've amassed to affect this change. And we just help them figure out how, like I said, they don't have to pay us. They don't have to do anything. It's kind of like the best part of their day. Right. Like I kind of joke that something like my office feels like a, kind of like somewhere between like a meditation room and like therapy where like, you can just like sit there and just like talk about your hopes and dreams for the world. So it's, I've had lovely experiences and I also credit the fact that it's like pretty easy to do, to make people happy when you're just helping them fulfill their, like most basic, like human instinct to like be good and to help. Um, So I've had a very, very lovely experience. I think the only challenge is you're dealing with extremely busy people who have very actually little control in some ways over their, their lives. Like if you're on set, like you just got to do what you got to do. If you're on tour, same thing. If you, you know, whether you're a model or an actor or a musician, like you're, there's a lot of burden on your time. So that's the only challenge I'd say, but um, in terms of people to people, it's been really nice as a boss. I think I try to be very uh, transparent and fair. Like, I don't want people to ever have questions of how I feel about them, or I never want to have like the meeting after the meeting. Like if I disagree, I'll tell you like right there on the spot, but you can only do that if people know that you're coming from a place of care. If they know that you have their back, if you know that you care about them, that way you can take feedback a lot more, a lot better. So that's me as a, as a boss, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's fair for sure. And something that, uh, takes a lot of buildup and courage when it doesn't come naturally. So a uh, great piece of advice for all of our leaders, for sure. 
you've done a lot of important work in CSR and DEI initiatives. How do you choose the areas in which to focus? So as a company or an individual? I think both because so, they both both matter. Yeah. So as a company, I think that you choose things that you can actually have an impact on um, because they're in some way inherent in the work that you're doing. And then they really do have to align with the company leadership. I think that company leadership is very, very important in terms of the purpose of the company. Uh, so for us, our pillars are equity, democracy, industry inclusion, um, and sustainability. So for us, we chose, you know, industry inclusion obviously very much aligns with our industry. We knew that our employees appreciate, love being in this industry and would easily want to be part of opportunities to help other people do the same. We chose democracy because our company, when I, by the time I'd come, already had a very strong political affiliation and leaning. So our CEO, uh, his brother was chief of staff in the White House at the time. And there was just a lot of stuff going on that where we were getting involved in issues having to do with, with voting and rights. And we knew that, that was very fundamental to the things that we cared about um, as a company. So I think it's very much about matching what your company does and what its purpose is with the areas that you actually have influence and weight and you can make a difference. For us as Endeavor, we have a very heavy weight when it comes to pushing for inclusion in the industry. So that's why we really double down on that the way that we do. Personally, and I've, I've coached people through it because I think a lot of people will come and sometimes say, like, I just want to help kids. And they don't, maybe they don't know. And that's part of our job is to help them clarify that. But I think it, there's two metrics I use depending on the person. One, one way is like, what makes you mad? Like, what do you just feel like should not happen, should not be right? Like, what are people experiencing that you're like, that's like messed up. I don't think anyone should have to go through that. Because I think that's what will propel you to, because beyond just giving money, you usually have to use your human capital, your personal capital or equity to get things done. So what are you passionate enough about that? You're like, I just know that shouldn't exist. And the other one is what do you sometimes if that's if we can't find that issue, what are you very personally connected to? What have you seen? What helped you in your life? What made your life better? Uh, what what was meaningful to you that, you know, maybe happened to your sister or your cousin or your parents? And uh, sometimes what's that is which is most deeply personal is sometimes the best way to, place to focus. Yeah. Okay. That was so, so good. I have to just restate. Here's what I heard you say in, in sort of coaching yourself or in your case, like coaching your clients, there's two points when choosing your focus on either DEI initiatives or social responsibility. Number one, what makes you mad? Or number two, what are you personally connected to? I think like pen to paper, you're going to come up with, uh, with a pretty good focus by asking those two questions. And if there's like a tie between a few, it's like, which one are you in the most position to do something about? Like, mm -hmm. where can your unique talents or the special place that you hold in society or your platform, whatever that thing is, where can that be best leveraged to make a change with this particular issue? Great point. All right. Well, okay. Also in your role, we like your role is just endless. <laughs> you lead the Endeavor Foundation. Can you talk about the foundation's mission? Who's involved in the impact you intend to make? How do you define the mission and hold the team accountable to sticking to it? Yeah. So a foundation at the end of the day is really just a vehicle to give money, right? So it's our separate 501c3, which is the designation for a charity in the U.S., so our foundation, the mission of it is to 
increase access and inclusion within the industries that we do business. So it's sports, entertainment, fashion, the arts, et cetera. We chose that because it was a big part of what I mentioned to you. We wanted to focus on things where we were uniquely positioned to make a difference. We also wanted to do things that we knew that our employees and our clients and our main stakeholder constituents would feel very, very invested in. So that's how we decided it. Um, we're, the foundation is a grant-making entity primarily, so that means that we find great nonprofits doing amazing work and we fund them to do what they do best. Uh, we fund everything from early childhood, uh, music education, so exposing more people to the arts so that they can one day pursue careers if they would like to. Um, we fund a lot of, as you probably can imagine from what I've said previously, a lot of industry access programming. So giving people more access to join the industry on the business side, like what we do with Combs and uh, the excellence program, but then also even things that we're not super involved in like on set um, or people want to become writers or directors. So it depends on who we're funding. And then we also do some work with organizations focused on equity once you're in the industry. So making sure that sets are safe places for women and they have somewhere to report. Uh, if something does happen or ensuring that there's the right amount of study studying pay equity within the industry. So things like that are the types of programming that, that we fund. Wow. That is so awesome. And you guys are just making such a big difference and you're certainly doing an amazing job leading the charge, but there had to have been a hurdle or two in your career. So what's one hurdle you've had to overcome? I mean, there's been so many. I think when you, it's funny when I go backwards and I think backwards, it seems like it all lines up, right? I was like at the nonprofit and then I was at a, or I was at the MBA, then I was at an MBA related nonprofit and then UNICEF and WME. It seems like so linear and it makes sense, but there have been so many steps away where I was like, oh my gosh, I've ruined my career. Like I'm a disaster. What am I doing in my life? Like, I remember I, I mentioned that moment earlier when I was reading like Sheryl Sandberg and Rwanda, I like was very, very sick. I, we thought I had malaria. I was like, I'm in a hut, like reading what lean in. And I'm like, I'm not leaning. And I'm literally reclined, like cannot get up. Like what, like I'm the opposite. So, I mean, I think for me, the hurdle was kind of this balance between doing what I was passionate about and what I cared about and having the life experience I wanted with this kind of very in some ways, ego-driven version of success where, you know, I should be making this amount of money and I should have this title and I should look like this and I should have this level of respect because this is, I've been working for, I mean, at that time it was like seven years. It's not even a lot of time, but like, it, I think for me, that was a very big hurdle or I, it was a series of hurdles, which was getting the life experience I needed to be effective at the work and, and seeing the world for what it was and understanding the world so I could best, you know, be part of its change while feeling like I needed a very traditional version of success. Oh, I hear you on that. Why were you in Rwanda? I don't even remember. I think that I wanted, I knew I wanted to like be on the continent. I had some friends and like family friends in Kenya. I think I had a friend that was running a nonprofit in Rwanda at the time. And I was like, I'm just gonna go, this is the most misguided America thing to say in the world. I was like, I'm just gonna go help her. So I like went there, got totally sick, was like of no help or use to anybody. And then had to like go back and like retreat and then figure out like, all right, how do I actually make a difference in this place that I love and want to spend time? And that's how I ended up at Seed at the nonprofit, um, which was an organization founded by a Senegalese man run by largely Senegalese people. So like it was the better way model of like what I was like trying, you know, misguidedly to do at the time. Yeah. But what was misguided maybe when you're looking at it now also seems 
like it laid out that linear path that you're talking about. Like hindsight is truly 2020. Cause I think you learned just such an amazing lesson while you were there. That's really led to this next, you know, iteration. And then the next thing of your career. Yeah. I mean, I think the first part about helping is understanding like the dignity and the ability of the people that you're trying to help. It's not even help. It's more just create the conditions for success that we were so lucky to have just by being born where we were born. And yeah, I did, it did take like a hard lesson to learn that. So I hundred percent agree with you, but I guess my lesson for other people is like, it never feels right at the time. Like I can go and tell this like neatly packaged story, but at the time I had so many sleepless nights, just being up being like, what have I done with my life? <laughs> I think that happens to, to a lot of us, but you know, you keep your head down and you, make the, the right decisions. And ultimately, you know, you can, you can find your, find your way pretty good. And where you found your way now is in LA. So we talked a little bit about before we hit record New York and LA, uh, you have been on both of those coasts. So let's talk about both of them. What is life like as a New Yorker? What's life like, what do you call it? Um, Angelino. Oh yeah. Lo- an, yeah. Los Angeles An Angelino, I think. Yeah. An Angelino. And then food, best places to eat, um, on each, east, each coast. I mean, New York was epic for my twenties. I went to NYU, like just being, I felt like so much of my c- connection to culture and music and even just like an energy that I feel like I still have with me today came from those very formative years in New York and being around. Like when I was in, in at NYU, I remember being looking around being like everybody here wants to do something really cool and they're taking steps to do it like there was a guy like screen printing t-shirts in his dorm room there was I had another friend that wanted to be a writer and he was like interning at like Miramax and like every, I wanted to work at the NBA so like everyone was there for a purpose and that was amazing and I think New York is like all about that grind all about that hustle and if you're about like when you have that like in you like do it it's incredible LA is just a more lovely place to live for me. It's just like the weather is nice. I feel like it's New York in your 20s, LA in your 30s, or even New York in your 30s, LA in your 40s. Like it's just like wherever you are in life, like when you're ready for that kind of like, I still want to grind, but I want to like have a backyard and I want to like walk outside. New York is just everything is work. Like you walk out of your door, even just to get to the office, you're doing work, like walking to the subway, who knows what you're going to pass, being on the subway, like people everywhere. Like sometimes you can't even get on. It's so packed. Like I used, when I used to go back to visit, I guess the office, I'm like, man, I feel like I just worked for an hour. So that's what I say the difference is, but I love both cities food. I mean, I'm a little indifferent, but well, I actually like both New York city. Everyone knows that knows me knows I'm like a slice girl. Give me like a thin crust, great slice of pizza. I am happy. LA like does not have that as easily as New York. So I choose New York for food for that reason, but LA has incredible Asian food. So whether it be Chinese, Japanese, Korean, like all, like anything, you name it. And it's Thai is so good here. Vietnamese is incredible here. So Japanese, the sushi is incredible in LA. So impartial to New York, but a, a food exploration in LA is incredible. Oh man, I can like, you're a good storyteller. I can, I can see you in both cities in those two like different periods of your life, just crushing it. 
<laughs> and um, I'm definitely in the LA version of my life now. Things need to be a little easier. <laughs> yeah, they gotta be. That you can't. I mean, it's a very special person that can like really grind that New York life out for for their whole lives. And more yeah. power to them. New York is the most special humans in the world, but hmm, not for me right now. Yeah. Well, this has been so amazing to talk to you today and learn so much from you. So it's time for the final four questions. Number one, what's the best piece of advice for women to apply today to level up tomorrow? I just, I mean, I'm like a little old school on this and I know that it's like a still a hot take, but I just think you just be the best. Like if you can be unassailable, like if you can be incredible at what you do, you'll find like, you'll find a way to have success. Where are you traveling to next? I am, well, hopefully going to New York. My brother just had a baby, well, his wife just had a baby. Um, so hopefully seeing him in New York. What is your pump up song? You know, I thought about this one for a long time and did not come to a conclusion but right now I'm listening to an Afrobeats hits playlist on Apple Music and I just love it. Like Burna Boy, Davido, there's like so many great Afrobeats artists out there. And like that really pumps me up. And finally, what is your favorite quote? I read it in high school. I, it was Voltaire originally translated from French, but it was don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, which I think now has like many iterations and you hear it a lot in different ways, but essentially something like that. And what does that mean in your day to day? It's just, I think that if you, it, when you, especially the types of issues that I'm arguing with people about when it comes to issues of equity or charity or changing the world for the better, people basically kind of paint this brush like it's impossible, therefore I'm not even gonna try. Um, and so that's how it really applies to me. Like, yes, just cause you can't imagine the perfect carbon neutral world does that not mean that we don't make our incremental steps every day now? Or yes, I get it that this version of change doesn't equal everyone being equal, but it's still worth us trying and pushing and moving forward. So that's that's how I apply it. But you can apply it to work in a project or like a friendship or anything, um, but just not, yeah, just not letting your inability to, to think of the ideal situation, make the ideal situation happen, stop you from, from good progress. I love that. So, so well stated. And it's just been a pleasure getting to know you today. Thank you so much for sharing your voice on the Leadership is Female podcast. Thank you for having me. With that, let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, follow the advice of Sheryl Sandberg. When you get a chance to board the rocket ship, don't ask what seat. The position you are first offered might not be perfect, but it's an in. Take it, do your best, and promote from within. Number two, when building, always start with a structure. Don't get so busy being busy that you have a bias towards action. Number three, have a third party hold you accountable. And number four, ask yourself this. Are you transparent? Are you a fair boss? The litmus test is if you are holding a meeting after the meeting. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Time is your most precious resource, and it means the world that you spent it with us. Please help us reach more people who need to hear these interviews by hitting the subscribe button and the five-star rating on your iPhone. Do you know someone who could benefit from this interview? Please share it. Take a screenshot and post your Instagram stories, copy the link and share on LinkedIn, or text that link to your colleague. 
The Leadership is Female podcast exists to showcase female leadership in sports and entertainment and give you the tips to level up. We will extend a hand back to lead you forward. Extend the same hand by sharing this with someone who needs to hear it. One last thing. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Leadership is Female. Now, take this lesson and run. Let's go. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus, and distributed by Anchor FM.